This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Christian Bravo, Associate Professor, Canadian Research Chair in Banking and Insurance Analytics at Western University, helps us understand why Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse banks failed, how they're not related, how banking works, and how our money is okay. Handy Andy Barrar takes us through his DIY self-watering gardens. Is he a genius or just lazy or maybe a little bit of both? Andy helps us understand using coffee grounds in your garden can be good or bad. And is it possible for um, banks to fail? Are you okay with dad jokes? We share some of your dad jokes. They're terrible. You might not want to stick around for them, but maybe you do because they're awesome. All on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Well, we've heard over the last week or so that banking is in trouble. And then it's like, nope, your banking is fine. And then it's like, well, it's actually in trouble enough that other banks are buying the banks. And then they're like, yeah, but it's just Silicon Valley Bank, nobody else. And then it's, oh, by the way, Credit Suisse is in trouble. Oh, but they're fine because their competitor is going to buy them. So our guest right now, I want to introduce you to this gentleman. Christian Bravo is a uh, associate professor, Canada Research Chair in Banking and Insurance Analytics at Western. Um, and uh, Christian, thanks for popping in and being with us and helping us understand this today. My pleasure, Shane. Thank you so much for inviting me. Like if you and I were going to work on a Friday and we're like, hey, this is our business. This is what we do. And then by the way, by dinner on Sunday, we sold it. It's a pretty quick turnaround and quite shocking for people. So what are you seeing that's going on here? Okay, right. So um, the, the first thing that you'll say is that uh, what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and with Great Swiss are two ill-timed but unrelated effects. So Silicon Valley Bank was being irresponsible in the way they managed their money in the face of interest rates that were going up. So the business of a bank is to take the money that you deposited and try to predict how much money people are going to take away, right? And make some money off the rest. The way they usually do it is buying things that are safe because they are not going to go and buy and spend the money in a casino. If they do that, right, the chance of you ended up with no money is going to be very, very high. What they do is they try to predict, give or take, how much money you're going to need and their whole customers are going to need and um, invest in ways that uh, make them some cash. What happened here? they made that decision and the investment that they chose to make were terrible, terrible, really. They were by far the most irresponsible of the bunch of all the banks that we can see. Most of Mm -hmm. the banks need to declare this. But the thing is, we call this interest rate risk, right? And liquidity risk. And they weren't measuring it correctly and taking the decisions given what was happening with the central banks increasing the interest rate in order to properly control the risk. So they were the by far the more at risk. There are plots that show that they were three or four times of the mark compared to pretty much every other bank out there. Mm. Credit Suisse, on the other hand, had been having scandal after scandal after scandal with poor management for already two years. 
The last one was that in their bank statements before 2022, so not the ones that they revealed last year or at the end of this year, at the end of last year, beginning of this year, but actually in the ones from years ago, they had been misrepresenting, which basically means either they were hiding stuff on purpose or they were negligent, right? What the amount of money that they had. That wasn't a problem now. In fact, Credit Suisse was a pretty healthy bank from the point of view of their balance sheet. But internally, they were a mess. Hmm. I'm pretty sure UBS did the business of a lifetime by acquiring Credit Suisse by 3.2 billion. And that's the reason why the Swiss Central Bank was trying to play hardball in not selling it too low. UBS offered $1 billion for Credit Suisse and in the end purchased it at 3.2. The Swiss Central Bank went at 5.5, right? Which basically means that everyone knew that Credit Suisse in terms of balance sheet was healthy. However, internally they are a mess. UBS needs to now enter and fix everything. So those two news were independent pieces of news that happened at the same time. So it's not the same problem that was being structural here. And in fact, this is what I want to, to hopefully reassure a little bit Canadians. There is not a structural risk here like 2008, mm-hmm. where we have one major thing that we know is making the whole house of cards falling down. Okay. We have two cards, independent cards that were knocked down and a few other cards that were closed that are trembling. Right? right. Makes sense. But that doesn't mean that the whole... House of Cards is coming down. Okay, so let me ask you this, Christian, because we have one scenario where there is a sort of recklessness and one scenario where there's bad investments. In Canada, how do we know that we don't have a bank that is being reckless, uh, sort of with structure and poorly run versus uh, a bank that's doing bad investments? I mean, in all fairness, Silicon Valley Bank, I mean, they were very much a startup sort of like an angel fund sort of scenario, right? Like they they invested in, most people would have should have known, they were investing in high-risk things anyway. A, it's called Silicon Valley Bank. <laughs> B, they were investing in startups. I mean, we shouldn't be too surprised here, but how do we know in Canada that these things aren't going on in the background with our banks? Okay, can we know that every single bank is doing everything perfectly and by the book? No, never, right? Of course, if Great Swiss can hide something, I'm, I'm sure, and they are, one of the most regulated banks in the world, anyone could be doing that, right? However, that said, we have a banking system that's designed for those things to eventually come to light Mm -hmm. for the big banks. That kind of stops the balance sheet misrepresentation from Great Swiss. And even if smaller banks were misbehaving a la SVB, a small bank in Canada is actually a small bank. Right. In the US, originally, a small bank was a $50 billion bank, right? And below. And then they love it in order to move that up to $250 billion, Right. Which a whole bunch of people said was a bad idea. Guess what? It was a bad idea. Turns out to be a bad idea. In Canada, we don't have that limit. those limits. Here, smaller banks are small. Category 1 banks start around $10 billion. So we're looking already one-fifth of what the U.S. 
Right. So renal has to consider. So we don't expect, even if something like this started to happen, that that van going down will destabilize the whole country or the whole province for that matter. As the regulation, when it was created, named these banks regional banks, because the idea, what they had in their mind was a credit union, a small bank that serves a small geographical region. That is not the case of Silicon Valley Bank. They had offices in Canada. They had offices in the UK. They were huge, comparably speaking. We don't have those smaller banks that are under-regulated in Canada. Should we have them, though? I mean, we've seen like crazy profits with the banks that we have. And, um, you know, there's been an awful lot of conversation we've heard about grocery in Canada making profits. And all of the major grocery chains combined was less than CIBC last year. And CIBC is the smallest of the major banks uh, in Canada. I mean, should we have some of these small? I mean, we've got local credit unions, ATB Provincial in Alberta, you know, some of the local uh, credit unions, even Desjardins really sort of started out like that. Um, should we have more of those or does that put us more at risk? So uh, both things are true. Um, should we have a more competitive banking system? To me, yes. To me, yes. And I got to say, um, for full disclosure here, TV donated uh, money to the Western in order for me to get a postdoc. I'm very thankful for that. But um, what I can say is that the Canadian system is not as competitive as um, the American system, by far. Mm-hmm. And we could certainly be a healthier system if we had more competition in banks, mm. right? Does that make us more frail to when a medium-sized bank fails? That's also true. And that's the problem of any modern economy, right? We need to balance risks risks to understand what happens. I think that the more concentrated banking system that we have in Canada has insulated us sufficiently well. I'm not going to say completely because that's a lie, Mm -hmm. but has insulated us a lot more in terms of any potential contagion risk that happens with this one, right? uh, With these banks um, going, um, going bust. Mm-hmm. However, um, we certainly could benefit from our competition. And I think that we know, right? I think that we as a country know that that competition in the banking system is something that we will want to have. Well, it certainly would be safe to say, and not to get overly political about it, that, you know, from the top down, if you look at Canada in general, all of our major industry could use more competition. We've we've seen yeah. that. So th- like to say that this is a banking problem, I think is a little unfair because when you look at I mobility- agree. I agree. When, Right. When you look at um, all the different big providers of things, we only have a couple everywhere and we're supposed to have a competition bureau that protects us. And I'm not quite sure that that there's enough being done to protect us. But that's a whole other political conversation. So yeah, um, no, no. we're going to in a different way. Yeah, I so, that, I, so yeah. I don't want to really get into that, but I just want to drive to everyone's attention. Like, I mean, this this is going on everywhere in Canada, in all kinds of industry, this notion that everything is way too centralized because it's not just a banking thing, but worth noting anyway. I guess we can leave that part there. Mm-hmm. I have a question about stocks and it's actually about mm-hmm. banks, but I'm going to go access it through stocks. So what we saw with some of the shorts and GameStop and all those uh, game, uh, yeah, whatever it's GameStop and all those things is the internet causing a real problem. 
when the stock market was built, and then we got to the end of the 90s, you know, Sorbanes-Oxley and all those kicked in about protecting technology for insider trading and all those things, but there hasn't been a lot done. When stocks were stocks, I would call my buddy Christian. I'd be like, hey, Christian, what do you got for a stock tip? Like, oh, I heard about this logging company that's got, they, they might have a real good deal coming up. It's a good one to buy. Well, today with Twitter, as one example, people have access to millions and millions of influence on the other end. So you could say, buy this logging company. Now we have 3 million people going by this logging company today. It artificially changes values causes things to raise, inflate, causes them to crash, all these things. I mean, that's pretty safe, safe look at what the internet has become. The stock market was not designed to have that much influence that quickly. And there's going to be a problem in the future if they don't figure that part out. When it comes to banking, they call it the run on the banks, where people show up and they withdraw their cash. Give me all the cash right now. In the world of the internet on our smartphones, you and I can take $100,000, $10,000, $1,000, we can take it out right now, like right now. So if these banks are going to get a run on the banks, we as the consumer have so much power because if you and I go and we get all of our friends, our 2 million followers on Twitter to all of a sudden go take all the money out of TD that we all have and transfer it, just an email transfer. That could be a run on a bank, and it happens with us not even going to the bank in a matter of seconds. How do banks mitigate that part of this instant money move that could be a problem? Okay, so um, that is certainly something that we need to keep in mind now, the fact that the speed at which communication moved. In SVB case, in Silicon Valley Bank, they withdrew $42 billion in 24 hours which was $1 billion more than all the money they had available. Yeah, see, that's a lot, right? Right, yeah, yeah. And that is something that we need to consider when we are thinking about designing a modern system. I don't think that a bank is going to be the ultimate responsible for doing that. I don't think that self-regulation is going to be the outcome here. We do have liquidity regulations that have been designed. And the last time was designed, the last version of that comes from 2013. So it's mm -hmm. already in the internet age, right? So we're not talking about regulation that was designed in the 90s when you bought stock by phone, mm -hmm. right? And however, I do think that we need to take a deep look at whether this liquidity regulations right so we call liquidity is the amount of cash that banks need to keep in hand yeah the old basically. school bags of cash yeah exactly right the liquidity regulations both in in like real cash and in digital available money need to take into consideration potential localized runs and as a system now going one step above the banking system, mm -hmm. we should, uh, oh, sorry, or the individual banks, we should consider of having backstops that allow to provide liquidity to the system when things like this happen. And I think that when you think about it, that's pretty much what happened. Mm -hmm. The Fed provided a pretty much infinite liquidity line within 24 hours, but okay. that was a, few, a little bit too late. 
Now, I was just talking actually coincidentally with people from Wired, with Matt Laszlo from Wired about this in the US. And he was asking me the same question. He was saying, okay, so what do we do with this, right? The US Senate is debating whether to limit the Fed power given the response that they had, or to keep them so that they can put a backstop to this. And this is a conversation that we need to have in Canada. The Canadian regulator have the ability to force extra liquidity to banks when they think that they need it. So the banking regulator can call you and say, I need you to have $3 billion more in liquidity right now to cover yourself against a potential period of high outflows, high withdrawals, right? how they use that power and at the speed that they use that power and how we create an institutionality that provides the safety for Canadians so that if the regulator says there is something here where we need to intervene. Yeah. So well, that makes sense, right? Intervene is what we need to think. Because we have interest rates go up, then maybe, hey, by the way, the risk is going up now. You guys got to have some extra cash lying around. That seems simple to me and kind of logical at the same point. Um, it does raise that question though is and this is what i just got from this and i'm not going to put words in your mouth so you don't have to agree or disagree it's a little bit political but what it appears to be is when when governments are looking to promote market growth and economy growth if that money is sitting in a cash in a bank it's not making money it's not growing the economy and if that money is being invested into business therefore the economy grows so you can see where that that threshold is about well if we pull the cash out and have the cash sit there, money doesn't make money babies when it's sitting in a bag. But if it's working together, it can make money babies and make more money and grow the economy. All of a sudden, politically, politicians look really great when the economy is making money. You can kind of see where that split happens, right, of that responsibility in regards to where regulations could lie because banks want to make money, shareholders want to make money, politicians want to look like the economy is growing, and it sort of all starts to intersect again, doesn't it? And I I think that the other thing that happens here is that when that's going on, there is no right or wrong answer at every point in time. There is Mm -hmm. no optimum. Yeah. We have different opinions. We have some parties that are going to say all that money should be out on the streets, bank and Banks can do whatever they want and they can choose to self-regulate and people will be will need to take a look at the bank to how safe they are and we're going to provide a basic level of protection, the $100 insurance that we all have mm-hmm. when we make our deposits. And our people will say, no, we need to have a very strong regulation set right, that are going to really constrain what the banks can do with our people's money. And I'm sure all of your listeners, me included, right, are going to fall somewhere yeah. within that spectrum. Yeah. That optimal and that line, situations like this are the opportunity for us to revisit these conversations and say and ask ourselves, is this enough? Is it enough? What powers are we having? What powers are we giving our regulators? What powers are and how much at risk our money is if we leave the things that they are? Or are we regulating too much? And that means that we're constraining our economy, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and and it's not an easy question to answer. And right now, what I think is happening is, and I, I do not envy the job of this Bank of Canada or the Fed or any central banker today, because we are in a situation in which inflation hurts us all. Mm-hmm. So we want to control it. And the way to control it is basically squeezing everyone by interest rates. But if you squeeze too hard, you break banks and then money disappears and you need to start come back and rescuing banks. Yeah. Oh, exactly. That That's, balance 
the risk of the cycle is really yeah, it's very yeah. apparent too, right? That balance is not easy to to get right, and I do think that at this point, interest rate risk was a blind spot in all of this process of trying to control an inflation that is going out of camp. Because here's the thing, inflation hurts us all. And I'm sure that we've all felt it when we go to a supermarket or, right? And controlling that is important. But if you do it too fast, now we're seeing that some banks, given the way that they operate and given the regulations that we have, especially south of the border, they are introducing other risks that we also need to take into account. So where is the boundary on that? I There is no easy or obvious answer. And, um, and yeah, that's that's the situation where we're in. And we need to be very responsible in saying, this is the situation that we're on. How do we best tackle it in order to maximize the chance that Canadians are going to be in a good situation? Yeah, fascinating. Okay, well, um, I it does make me feel a little bit better to know that everything has been isolated and it's just some really unfortunate timing. So um, that is good too. Christian Bravo, Associate Professor, the Canada Research Chair in Banking and Insurance Analytics at Western University. Uh, thank you so much for the clarity and the insight. I truly appreciate it. Thank you, Tane. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. This is the Shift Podcast. Andy Andy Barrar is here. It's AndyAndyMedia.com. Andy, I was particularly proud of that uh, skip rope video that I sent you, the speed trials, 30 seconds of the fastest skipping that you can imagine. I was, I was a little proud of that. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see me enter that competition anytime soon. No. Uh, Shane, that's that's incredibly fast of what they're doing. I, I, I just skip for, you know, to stay in shape. I'm not trying to win competitions, nor do I ever think I have a chance of winning a competition. You're a little bit of a you're a little bit of an athlete. You'll be all right there, big fella. Um, Handy Andy is in BC, Surrey, to be specific on the West Coast, where getting ready with the growing season is very much on his plate right now. That's why I say he has a green thumb. And the video he's posted at shiftheads.ca is his watering systems. You see the thing about Andy. And this is what I don't understand. Andy is like the laziest hard worker that you've ever um, known. It is also possible he is the hardest working lazy guy that you've ever met in your life because he does all of these projects, likes to do the watering, likes to get all the things done, but he does the automatic watering because he's too lazy to water the plants. So it is a uh, little life of duality that Andy lives in. How goes the watering system, your grocery store watering system that it looks like? Yeah, so you're 100% right. I don't think I would be into gardening if I didn't have these automated watering systems. Because to be honest, uh, I'm the weakest link in this whole gardening thing because I requires me to water the plants. So years ago, Shane, I was like, you know, I got to figure out a way how I can take myself out of this equation. And I bought one of these greenhouses. You can buy them on Amazon. They're about six to $800, these little greenhouse kits, and you can build them yourself. Uh, I did. I built it, and I realized it gets incredibly hot inside these greenhouses, and all the plants would die because I would forget to water it. 
Then one day I was in the grocery store buying some produce and I noticed that they, they spray, they have this spray on top of the produce to keep it nice and fresh. And it was like one of those Eureka moments, Shane, where I was like, aha, I know exactly what I need to do. I need to build a similar system like this inside of the greenhouse. So what I did is I used an old um, hose and I ran it underneath my deck to where my water tap was. And then I built this apparatus. And for the people out there, you have to check this out. Go to shiftheads.ca. I made a video. And in this greenhouse, I have all these trays of plants growing from seed. And it works just as I imagined and envisioned it, Shane. It sprays the water on top. And you only have to keep it on for like a minute or two. It's like a monsoon of rain coming on top of these plants. And it's absolutely amazing. And the other thing that I showed in that video is the indoor garden that I built inside my kitchen. This is a vertical indoor garden. And I made some additions to it after that uh, mouse issue that I had. After I ripped the bulkhead off my uh, top of my kitchen cabinets, I was able to get a power source and I put a power bar up there. So now this vertical indoor garden that I have also has LED lights that I bought on eBay. They're pink lights and plants apparently just love them. So I really encourage people to check it out, shiftheads.ca. You can check out this indoor vertical garden and also the outdoor greenhouse that is self-watering with the spray system that was inspired from the grocery store. Two of my better ideas, Shane, and it really comes down to just being a lazy gardener. I just don't want to pay for food anymore. And uh, and I think I finally have a system now that's going to work and keep me, um, you know, with a lot of food with doing minimal work in the future. Very cool. Um, you, This is impressive, but you will truly impress me because being an audiophile in the world of radio, when you get your rain to start in your greenhouse, just like the grocery store, you need the sound effects of the thunder like they have in some of the grocery stores. Yeah. And then the, and then the water comes. You get that sorted out, then we'll celebrate. You need thunder sound effects. You know what I was thinking? Um, I was like, you know, I would love to have like a, a camera inside there. And there's actually a baby camera, uh, the Arlo baby cam. And I'm going to install it in there because this baby camera can actually measure like the temperature and humidity of rooms. So instead of using it in a baby room, I'm going to use it inside this greenhouse just so I can remotely see what the temperature is. Smart. Because like I said, Shane, in the summertime, holy cow, does it, I put one of those, uh, temperature measurements in there it was like 50 degrees mm -hmm. so i don't i've never really used it in the summertime but with this system i'm going to try to grow some hot peppers and and see if, if if it could actually survive in that in those types of temperatures provided that it has enough uh rain water that on a timer so it's regularly going on a timer where i don't have to worry about it thermometer was the word you were looking for there thermometer that's what i'm listening <laughs> to i've been up all day <laughs> i know hey man i'm with you it's uh sometimes the words just leave it's like the, the words leave the chat man okay uh handy andy is here now there are different things people put in plants back in the day um i know that my mom and this was the late 80s early 90s okay it's probably not good so it was a long time ago, so no judging, please. She worked in a doctor's office. She was a receptionist in a doctor's office. And all of the birth control pills, when they would expire, they would all take them and they would put them in the gardens because the hormones would make the plants grow. And, really? yep, and I don't know if that's uh, that's probably not good for the ground somehow, but um, that was a long time ago. 
there are things you can put in the ground that will be good, things like that are approved, like miracle Grow, for example. Uh, let's stick to the things that get the thumbs up. But there are some more natural things that can help, and there are some myths out there too. Yeah, one thing that a lot of people have been telling me, my uncles, you know, anyone that comes home to my house and they look at my garden, they always have like tips. And everybody's been telling me to use coffee grounds, you know, the, the coffee grounds that you have from your coffee maker inside your garden. And so I was thinking about this and I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole to see if this is actually true. And it is to some point. Some plants like having coffee grounds, some don't. The thing is, when you use coffee grounds, you make your soil very acidic. Some plants like blueberries and rhododendrons, they don't like that. So you definitely don't want to put coffee grounds with uh, blueberry bushes uh, or rhodos. And some plants, others like succulents will love it. So if you are using coffee grounds, the thing is you don't want to overdo it. You want to kind of spread it um, sparingly across. But what really got me interested in this, Shane, is there is this gadget. I think you've seen it. You know that Loma that it, you put it in your kitchen, you put all your food scraps, it dehydrates I've everything? I've seen that. Yeah, it kind of turns your uh, – it's like a – oh, crap. Um, just uh, uh, compost, but instantly yes. with heat, into, it turns it into sawdust. Yeah, so it basically – you would put everything inside here. And there's another company, Vitamix, actually. They make their own version. I'm going to be reviewing it in the next couple of weeks. And I got really excited because you take the eggshells, everything that people are saying is great for your, your garden, eggshells, banana peels, coffee grounds. You put this into this machine. At nighttime, you know, you, you turn it on. It dehydrates it. It's even got like, you know, um, blades that kind of mush it around and move it around. And so by the time you wake up in the morning, it looks like compost. This looks like dry ground, you know, type of compost. And you take that and put it in your garden. So it's a natural fertilizer. So when I saw this product, I was like, oh, my God, this could be life-changing. Because every time I take those food scraps and I put in the green bin and, you know, the, and it gets taken away, I feel so bad because I think of all the nutrients that are in those scraps. And I'm never able to capture it because I've tried composting, Shane. It takes forever. forever. You also have to put water. You have to... You have to, there's a science to it almost, but it does take a long time. And with a system like this, I think it's going to expedite it all. And uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'll get it. And this year, I might finally be truly organic using the food scraps to then grow food, which then becomes the food scrap. So it's like this perpetual cycle of growing. And I think with the cost of, of food these days, you know, a lot of us need to start thinking about growing food ourselves and trying to save money wherever we can. Well, even just the ability to save a little bit on the little things, right? I mean, the big, the catch is, is getting set up could be very expensive and that might backfire on you, maintenance, water, all the things that go with it. So you've got to do it from the way that Andy talks about it, which is, um, you know, doing it with what you have, working with what you have, doing it as frugally as possible, and then then learning from there. Because you could spend thousands of dollars on stuff, screw it all up, and then have nothing to show for it. I have a, um, I bought one of those raised garden beds that um, you can buy them at Costco, whatever. They're like cedar and they roll on wheels. And I bought it and it was just a good deal. I bought it off Kijiji. I was like, well, I'm just going to sell this and make some money. But now that I have it, I'm like, well, maybe tomatoes. You know, like I, you yeah. get kind of tempted really quickly because, you know, it would be all right to, to kind of have a little extra food lying around. Love that. 
Yeah, um, that that indoor garden that I built, that vertical garden, you know, it's very large. What I want to do now is because I still have some of these uh, extra lights, the ones that I bought from Amazon, I'm going to try to make a smaller kit so that anybody that lives in an apartment or or whatnot, they they can still grow indoors. I want to show people that it is quite easy. Like, we have the technology. These LED lights are amazing. They're low energy. All you got to do is buy some seeds, get some soil, and then plant it. They do have these other hydroponic kits that you can buy that come with like the fertilizer, the seeds, all in these little capsules, but they want to get you on those subscription services. So I'm trying to find the cheapest way, try to make a little system that anybody can grow food indoors, or you could start to grow food like I do indoors and then transplant it outside when the season is ready. And that's going to be the next couple of weeks, which is why I love uh, spring because I got an early start with tomato plants and all these things that are already growing indoors. I just need good weather to put it outside. And all of us can do this and save a lot of money uh, doing so. Uh, contribution from Shiftheads, 877-399-9898. Um, use water from a freshwater aquarium occasionally. The nitrogen levels are fantastic for most plants. Just don't do it too often. You'll burn the roots. That's one thing that says uh, Andy's mouse is going to move into his greenhouse is another one. <laughs> Uh, Trucker Dan says, spring is here. I'm so excited. I wet my plants. Uh, thank you, Trucker Dan. Um, Janobi from Vancouver says, I want to see you and Andy eating a meal together from his garden. Uh, that's a good idea. That's and a great idea. Steve said, um, Steve said, grow herbs. Easy peasy. And that's one thing that I always like the idea of having fresh herbs around. Although it's yeah. hard to build herbs into your house with the lights that makes it look like it belongs as opposed to here's a bunch of planters I have on my counter, right? Like it would be nice to have it look like it belongs there as opposed to even some of those grasses and stuff that, you know, are good for shakes and stuff. Those things would be really great, but you've got to, you've got to have it set up properly. So it looks nice because otherwise it looks like you're, well, I don't know. It looks trashy. Yeah, yeah. You got to make it aesthetically pleasing. And I've been thinking about designing something that's for indoors that would look beautiful. You know, like I have, I just need more time, Shane, you know, and good weather to do something like this. But I'm with you. I've never grown herbs indoors, but this year I'm going to try to grow some cilantro, some basil, maybe some parsley uh, and try to make it look good as well. Because that's the best thing is when you're cooking, you can just grab it right away. Um, but you do, like you said, it's got to aesthetically look pleasing and not like some kind of makeshift garden that wow. you've been building. And my pineapples kitchen. look like that, right? I have a bunch of tables covered in old towels <laughs> that are in by the window. I mean, it looks terrible, but I would like to get that cleaned up too and have it look nice. Um, my pineapple is getting bigger, which by the way, I think I'm going to get another one this summer. It looks like I've got one plant. It's, it really grew in the last few months. I did get a couple of shift heads ask me about that as well. And, and green onions, by the way, are another favorite of mine. You just buy them from the store. And then you plant them, right? Cut them, plant the, the bulb, and it'll keep growing and just keep, keep clipping off the top. Chad style. So Handy Andy Barrar is here. HandyAndyMedia.com is the website for him. And you know what? It's um it's a great it's a great way to learn about some DIY stuff, partly because Andy's creative, partly because he's frugal. So it goes both ways. Um Andy, in this conversation, you had some ways to save some money, you had some ideas. Um, some DIY projects that you've taken on the last couple of years while you were stuck at home. Yeah, well, it wasn't just me. It looks like a whole bunch of other Canadians were trying to keep up with their pandemic-inspired DIY projects. And, you know, people were bored. They were stuck at home. They didn't have, didn't know what to do. 
But we live in this era where we have YouTube. And YouTube, you can pretty much learn anything. So that's the secret, I think, of, of trying to learn DIY. So you don't have to know anything. You just have to have enough kind of uh, will to try to learn. And so a lot of people, I was reading, the Toronto Star just had a, an article about the DIY projects that Canadian young Canadians were doing. You know, people were, you know, learning how to reposter furniture. They were buying old kind of like used furniture that was still good, made out of real wood. And then, you know, turning it around and, and making it into a hobby, but then also making money on the side by just putting a fresh coat of paint, sanding it down. Another person learned how to cut their own hair. They were watching videos on YouTube and they saved so much money because they don't have to go see a hairstylist anymore. And what was interesting is these little hobbies that people are doing during the pandemic, they've continued to do it because of the high price of food these days and the high cost of living. People are just trying to find ways to save money. So just like I'm trying to save money by growing my own food, other people are saving money by you know learning how to cut their own hair or taking on any other kind of side projects where it's a hobby, but it's a hobby that can actually make some money. And I think that's the secret. You just have to kind of embrace that DIY culture. And YouTube is your friend. TikTok is your friend. There's so much content out there that you really just have to take that risk and try something new. And you know what? It doesn't cost a lot of money and it could turn around and make some money. Yeah. And it, it does take tools. It does take time and you got to be willing to take the risk. Um, like if you, if you break it down to $15 an hour for your time, it's not going to be in your favor in the beginning until you get better at it and That's scale right. at it and whatever. Right. I mean, it's just, if you were to say, well, I can make $15 an hour as a greeter at Walmart, I might as well go do that. Well then go do that. But if you want to just do something to get crafty, get handy, and even if you just donate it um, or resell it, you can do that. And furniture is another one that you had on your list here that that is a good way to, you know, maybe refinish or repair. Yeah, I always, if you look at on eBay right now, about 80% increase in used furniture. And what people are looking for is that old antique style furniture, you know, tables, chairs that are made out of real wood. And it may look weathered. And the thing is, all you have to do is sand it, put a new paint of coat, maybe put some varnish on it. You can turn around and sell it online. And a lot of people have been doing that. And the great thing is, it's very, very rewarding at the same time when you're learning new skills. And then you put a little elbow grease into something and turn it around, post it online. And people are buying it for twice or maybe three times what you paid for it. So just by getting some types of tools, and I love sanding. I love sanding wood. I don't know if I told you that, Shane, mm. but I, there's something therapeutic about sanding wood. It, you, you see the results right away, and then you put some paint on it, you turn it around, post it online, someone will probably buy it, especially if it's antique furniture that has or has been constructed out of real wood. I love it. It's great. I was uh, in a small town, and there was a, a like a, an estate auction happening at this auction house, like signs on the street. I went there, looked at it. I was like, oh, let's go inside. I ended up buying one of those old cabinet stereos for a dollar. Didn't need it. Worked perfectly. Needed tons of refinishing. Ended up selling it to a finishing carpenter for 50 bucks, and he did it, which was really great. And that was only because I walked down the street and opened up the door of this vintage shop, and they were doing selling stuff. I was like, this is fun. So I did it. HandyAndyMedia.com. Andy Barrard, thank you for being here, brother. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with? I mean, you can text me now. Yay. <laughs> it's weird, man. 
Internet's weird. 877-399-9898. We need to give uh, Jono a medal here as he's been dealing with. We have multiple Internet connections, so we very rarely lose everything. But Jono's losing this, and this works, and then that dies, and this works. and oy, One of those. We are getting your text messages, though, and now I can see them. Are you okay with... Dad jokes. We did knock-knock jokes on the shift last night. They were terrible. You did knock-knock jokes? Oh, well, now you got to follow it up with dad jokes? That's It was tough. good, though. I mean, they are. It was because an alligator showed up at a guy's door. So we were like, knock-knock, who's there? Alligator. Alligator who? Oh, uh, alligator who? No, that was it. There was no joke there. I was just saying. Oh, there's no joke. Okay, Although I okay. did. Uh, speaking of dad jokes, I said I did ask Debbie when she was filling in for you. I said, so how can you tell the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? Um, mm-hmm. And she's like, how? And I was like, well, an alligator says, see you later. A crocodile says, <laughs> see you in a while. <laughs> speaking of dad jokes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see, there, you go. there you go. Packed full of them. You're a dad and you have the dad jokes. I am not a dad yet. But I have a, ro- a like a roster. For example, how does a taco say grace? How does a taco say grace, right? Let us pray. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Jeez, so, see, eh? I love these jokes. They're so bad. And the reaction from people, whether they love them or hate them, it's mm-hmm. like it's like a it's like fuel to me. Bring mm-hmm. me more dad jokes. Always. Dad jokes are good. Who doesn't love a good dad joke, though, right? Yeah. Well, lots of people, actually. My kids um, they my kids are very good at them when they do them. They think it's awesome, but when I do it, it's like, uh. But those with an excellent sense of humor know the magic of the dad joke. And it turns out dad jokes aren't just magic and hocus-pocus. They might be healthy for you. Mark High Knudsen was a uh, who is a humor researcher and lab manager at the RS University's Cognition and Behavior Lab in the United Kingdom. That's a big sign on the front of the building. Published an article in the British Psychological Society's journal. It's a big title for a book. Found some potential health benefits of the dad joke. Does he embarrass you? Yeah. Don't laugh, but those corny jokes dads like to tell might actually be doing some good. It's like this one joke. It's like, what? what's a fish without an eye? And it's like, <laughs> It still makes you laugh. Sometimes, yeah. New research shows embarrassing your kids, even just a little, can help them grow into healthy adults. Why was the nervous system so nervous? Because the confidence system came in. And another. Went to a Star Trek convention recently, but they wouldn't let me in because I wasn't the real McCoy. Okay, just one more, please. Where were the first donuts made? In Greece, that's the joke. (laughs) I like it. The researcher of humor, and yes, it's a real job, found that when dads embarrass their kids with corny jokes, it teaches them how to overcome awkward moments when they grow up. Anytime parents can role play at home or offer tools for socialization to kids, put them in situations where they can practice their social tools, I think that can always be incredibly beneficial for children. It can even be helpful if your kids, like me, miss the punchline. Excuse me, sir. How do I get on? Get get to the other side of the river? The man says, "You're already on the other side." What does that mean? <laughs> That's that a dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was weak, though. It's yeah. more of a philosophical joke. 
It was. It was. Doesn't have. Didn't have really a punchline because the dad joke has to have a punchline. Oh, it does. Absolutely, it does. And yeah, sometimes it's a bit of a grenade it. joke where you just kind of got to toss it. Um, yeah. And all that stuff. Not to. It's not really a dad joke, but the um, there is um. There was a new report came out about Twenty Four Sussex. Did you see the electricity bills? Now that nobody's no. living or working there, yeah, it was like electricity and gas and water was like eight thousand dollars a month, even though nobody's working there. And there was all the jokes flying around on Twitter, of course, about you know all the dads in Canada <laughs> turn the lights off and turn down the thermostat. Turn the, no turn the thermostat down. Yeah, well, there's no dad yeah. there to monitor it. Yeah, um, that uh, clip, by the way, was from Fox Five. Um, uh, what's the next clip here? Should we just go straight into it? Or? It's no, that's the joke. Just in case you didn't get it. Oh, the, didn't the get the joke. The, the on the other side. Yeah, I didn't river. get it. I yeah. was like, well, here I didn't get it. Here, hit the, the joke yeah. again. One more time. Excuse me, sir. How do I get on? Get get to the other side of the river. The man says, "You're already on the other side." Well, I mean, I get it. I might depends on perspective, I guess. Yeah, that's not that good. Is that the joke? Here, let me let me make it up for you with a really good one. What uh, concert costs just 45 cents to see? What concert costs 45 cents to see? 50 Cent featuring Nickelback. Oh, God. <laughs> That's terrible. I know. I know. I It'd love be a great one. concert, though, wouldn't it? Oh, it'd be amazing. <laughs> it'd be a heck of a party. Are yeah. you okay? Oh, oh, God. Are we going to do the dad jokes? We're getting a lot of them. We're gonna eight seven seven. The texts are coming in eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Okay, just um, send in your dad jokes. Okay, Ryan, you ready? Always ready for some dad jokes. Always. Dad jokes. It's part of are you okay today? Did you hear about the butcher who backed into the meat grinder? No, I did not. He got a little behind in his work. <laughs> That's pretty. It's good, not a actually. pretty picture, but it's a good joke. No. Yes. Um, what is the best time to go to the dentist? Tooth hurdy. Tooth hurdy. I think it's the worst time. Um, I think it's the worst time to go to the dentist is tooth hurdy. You know what I'm saying? All right. What do you call a guy that hangs on the wall? What? Art. (laughs) I feel like that joke's better if you say Arthur. I don't know. Why? Are, well, okay, I, I guess, but art's just that blunt, think about straight, it. quick to the point. Yeah. Right? Makes you think about it a little bit. It's okay to make someone think about the joke, I'd say, right? Mm, if you're cold, go stand in the corner. It's always about 90 degrees. <laughs> I, this is good. Proof. I like this one. This is a total dad joke. When is a car not a car? When? When it turns into a driveway. <laughs> oh, God. I like that one. Um, when is a door not a door? When it is a jar? When it's a jar. It's not yes. a door, it's a jar. Um, why was the tomato blushing? Why? Because it saw the salad dressing. So. Oh. These are dad jokes submitted by you, by the way. I take no responsibility for these. But there were some bad ones earlier, and then you responded this way. So I'm trying to get these in the right order. Oh, did you hear about the optometrist that was goofing off at work? No, I, I didn't. No. He made a spectacle of himself. 
That's good. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, Miss Josie says, why are elevator jokes so good? Why? They're funny on so many levels. Oh, yeah. I think I like that one. I think I've saved uh, a couple of the best ones here for last. I'm ready. Uh, This is from Ms. Josie's friend, Lori. I tell dad jokes, but I don't have any kids. I'm a faux pas. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard that one. That's very good. Very good. good Adding it to the book. Okay. Uh, and the last dad joke that we're going to go, oh, man. Now, look at you send in more. Mm-hmm. It's not going to stop. There were 10 cats in a boat. One jumped out. How many left in the boat? None because they're copycats. Uh, why did the picture go to jail? Because it was framed. Oof. Yeah, classic. Um, okay, here's the last one. Okay. What do you call an alligator wearing a vest? <laughs> <laughs> what? An investigator. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. That is my favorite uh, one. That's new Excellent. to me. I love it. Tremendous. All right, no more dad jokes. We're done. Oh my god. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.